0: Well, good morning, and uh, if this is your first Sunday with us, then uh, just letting you know we've been working our way through the book of Galatians. Each week we keep asking ourselves this question, how does the gospel teach us to live? After all, Paul is writing to the Galatians with that specific purpose in in mind. The, The Galatians have fundamentally walked away From the truth of the gospel. And so Paul is having to write to them and let them know, hey, you've walked away. We we have to talk about this. You have to know that the gospel is one thing. There is but one gospel. And this is what it means to walk in it. This is how you live out what it meant when Jesus said that he came, that the kingdom was near." And so we said that the gospel can be summed up into four simple words. God's work, not mine. And that is really truly just a very simple understanding of the gospel. It can be expounded to mean so much more and to see the fullness of what the gospel means. But Paul is simply getting right now to the point that it's God's work, not yours but the galatians had departed from that simple meaning they've been tempted to give in to the circumcision party as we were talking about last week we see we saw how this false gospel paul had to rebut in jerusalem by going and visiting with the apostles but then he had to do it again with peter in antioch who had already affirmed the truth of the gospel but was being led astray out of his own fear. And so we can see how already the the letter to the Galatians speaks so clearly, at least to me, and I hope it's been speaking to you as well, how there are these moments in our lives we can depart from gospel truth because maybe we're seeking the approval of man. We just want somebody else to approve of us. And I shared how I have that feeling oftentimes when I have to get up here and preach, I want your approval. And maybe sometimes we're even seeking the approval of God. How even seeking the approval of God can be something that is antithetical to the gospel, to gospel truth. And along those same lines, we see how fear can cause us to turn away because oftentimes it's Seeking approval that we're afraid to be truthful to what the gospel is teaching us. That's what we saw with Peter last week. He was so afraid of the circumcision party that he turned away from the truth that the gospel brought to the Gentiles. And so they've been trying to sell this gospel plus. Well, there's the gospel and then you also have to do this if you want to be counted among the righteous. But we see how the gospel is also this great unifier. When there is but one gospel, one gospel truth that everybody is believing. Back then it was from Jerusalem to Galatia to Rome. How this one gospel truth unified the church. And today the gospel truth, the one gospel unifies the believers here in Griffin, to the believers in Beijing. We believe the same thing because there is but one gospel. We can be considered brothers and sisters because there is but one gospel truth. So we have to stay steadfast in that one true gospel And that is why Paul is writing to the Galatians the importance of understanding that we have to stay true to it. And so today we're turning to the third chapter of Galatians and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to chapter 3. And if you have your pew Bible, it's on page 1013. But in today's passage, Paul turns his attention away from telling the testimony of his encounters in Jerusalem and with Peter and in Antioch. And he's turning his attention back to the Galatians. He's like, Galatians, I've been telling you these testimonies of what's been going on so you have a better understanding of what I'm about to tell you about this false gospel that you've started to believe and how it's turned you. And so let's read this passage in Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Quick word. Obviously Jesus wasn't publicly portrayed in front of the Galatians like in real time. But that the gospel was so profoundly preached that it was as if they had seen Christ crucified himself. And so it was before their eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Curse be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, in the hearing of your word this morning, Lord, I pray that our our eyes and hearts would be open to hear what it is that you are speaking to us. God, that it would be less about the words that are coming out of my mouth, but more about your spirit at work in our hearts and so if, but if, if there is but one thing that we can take away, let us take away that you are glorified. And that your spirit lives within us and speaks in truth. And so, Lord, be glorified in our hearing today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we get started, I want to first uh, tell you a little thing about golf. And I I know I talk about golf a lot and very often. And at some point, you're probably going to be like, if we hear one more golf story, um, we're sending him out the door. But here's the thing. I think golf teaches at least me a lot of things about faith. It It is so evident to me how when I play golf, the Lord is always teaching me something through it. And so... I just want to uh, talk to you a little bit this morning about this one experience that I've had in golf that seems to be true no matter how often I forget it. Uh, And then I fall into the trap again uh, and realize, oh no, I did it again. What do I do? And so this this truth is that first we have to understand that in order to, to score in golf, Uh, Every course, every 18 holes is rated on a a par system that is exactly how many strokes that it should take for you to complete the course. And most courses uh, by general rule are 72. It's a par 72, which means from the first tee shot to the very last putt on uh, hole 18, uh, it should take you 72 strokes, that is 72 hits of the golf ball. That's for really good people that that are scratch golfers that do it in 72 shots. Um, And for the really good ones, they can actually do it in less shots than 72, which is phenomenal. Maybe one day I'll be there, but probably not. But maybe, maybe uh, that's the hope and the dream, right? But here's the thing. Typically, at one point, I was about a 90 to a 100-stroke golfer. So I was shooting about 18 to 20 728 over par that that was that was kind of my my range I was I was a you know a 90 to 100 golfer and that was okay but but here's the thing I I I knew that I could be better and I wanted to be better I want to keep improving right one day I want to be able to shoot uh, par on a golf course and that would be really great you know Um, but here's the thing breaking 90 was just such a difficulty like I could not do it. It just seemed that nothing would get me below 90. I couldn't shoot 89. It wouldn't matter if I was on hole 18 and it was, I was on the green putting for 89, and then I end up two putting and it's a 90. And I'm just like, come on, I just can't get there. But here's the thing. One day, I went out to this golf course, and it was a new golf course for me, which usually new golf courses, you don't expect to play well. Isn't that right, know You just don't expect to do great on new golf courses. And so I went out to this golf course, though, with, with zero expectation. Uh, I literally was out there with a large group of people. There was like six of us. Um, I was meeting some friends and, and meeting new friends. And so we were just out there to have a really good time. And so I just started playing golf with them, and I wasn't trying to beat anybody. I wasn't trying to get the lowest score I've ever got. I was just, I was just there to have fun and play golf. And soon enough, by the time I realized that I was on hole 16, and it looked like I was going to break 90. <laughs> looked. Uh, but that was the danger as I started thinking about, oh, my goodness, I could, I could break 90. But I, I tried to put it out of my head. I tried to put it out of my head. I was just there to have fun. Well, I ended up for the first time on that golf course breaking 90. My score was an 86. And I was like so excited and so surprised. And and finally, I had this realization, I can do it. I can break 90. It is possible. And so the next time I went to go play golf a week later, I was like, I can do it. I know I can. I've already broken 90 once. I'm going to do it again today. And so I tried my hardest and shot a 101. (laughs) Not only was I not in the 90 to 100 range, I didn't even break 100, I shot a 101. And every time I played golf after that, it was just a 101, a 102, a 98, a 97, a 100. It's like, what in the world happened? And so here's this rule in golf. The harder you try, the worse you are going to play. The harder you try to play golf and try to get your score down and lower, the worse you're going to play. And that is the one rule that I constantly forget every time I tee it up on hole number one. It's just go out there to have fun. Go out there and just play your game. Just go out there and do what it is that you came out to do. Don't don't try to set a record. Don't try to break a score. Don't try to set a personal best. Just... Just be out there. You can. It's 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 possible again, and so like as I kind of got back to that and learned that that was the rule and how it worked, I started shooting more in the 80s again. Uh, you know, I've shot several 80s since then, and it's been exciting. And then I forget, and then I shoot you know in the 90s again, in the hundreds, and I'm like, what in the world? It just it keeps happening. But but that's the thing from with golf. The harder you try, the harder it is to play. You begin to overthink everything from setup to swing to follow through, and you end up playing worse. Everyone I know that I've ever played golf with has said that. The harder I try, the worse I play. And so here's the thing. I don't know if it's golf for you. I know that there are some golfers in here that I have played golf with and those that I have not yet to play golf with, who I hope to play golf with soon and at some point. But the harder that we've tried, we, we, we know that it's, it's harder to get those low scores. But maybe it's not golf for you. Maybe it's something else completely and entirely. Maybe it, maybe it is running a business. I know there's a lot of people in here that are running businesses and, and working really hard. And maybe sometimes you're just working so hard and you just think like there's this, there's this barrier to the amount of work that you're putting in. And it's just not what you are getting out It's just harder and harder and harder. But the the days that you seem to kind of maybe take a a step back and, and not try to push it so hard, things just kind of go with the flow and it's easier and things are working as they should be. Or one of the big ones that I've heard from a lot of my friends that are now becoming parents is that parenting, the harder they try to parent their kid, the worse their kid reacts to their parenting. Like, it seems that the, the more that they try to, to teach their kid and discipline their kid and be a parent to their kid, the more their kid wants to throw a tantrum and respond back with no, uh, no, no, no. Uh, and so maybe parenting is one of those things. It's just the harder you try to be a parent, the, the harder kids are to actually parent. And of course, there's a balance there, right? Of not saying like, hey, you're just going to go completely hands off here and your, pa- your kid's going to be fine. That's not how that works. But But there there is this idea that the the harder that you kind of put into parenting, the more that children will will experience rebellion and have less growth uh, into becoming mature adults. And so maybe it's not parenting. Maybe, again, it is something completely different. But there is certainly something that you have experienced where the harder you try, the worse you end up doing. Actually, one of those things for me is board games. I'm super competitive in board games, and I love board games. But the harder I try to win in board games, I always end up last. (laughs) Every single time I end up last in board games when I try to be the winner. But I say all that. What What does that have anything to do with what we're talking about today? Well, I think that it has everything to do with what we're talking about today. You see, what golf has taught me is the same thing that it's taught me in my faith. That when I am trying to work and put in and and do better by the works of my own flesh, trying to obtain some sort of righteousness, trying to obtain relationship with God, the, the more and harder I realize it is to actually walk in faith. The more I try to perfect my own walk with God out of my own work, the harder it is to actually have a more perfected relationship with him. And so, and that's what Paul is getting at in, the, in the, his uh, letter to the Galatians today. He's, he's talking to them. He's like, what is going on? You see, I once believed well. I, I believed like that it was Jesus that saved me. It was his work that, that brought me to faith. I used to have this fantastic joy, but somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, I started to believe a false gospel that I had to work. For my own righteousness. I believed it at first. But subtly it changed. And it changed. And it changed. And then I just kind of stopped. And I realized that there were these moments in my life. I was just completely joyless. Like my faith didn't bring me joy anymore. Like it wasn't fun to get up and talk. And preach. And share the word of God. And I was wondering why. Why, why, why. But I think that's what Paul's challenge is today. To the Galatians and to us. And so, at the beginning of Paul's letter to Galatians, we have already learned that there were these false teachers and they were coming to sow a false gospel and a false work, saying that the Galatians had to do more than just believe the gospel in order to be saved. But Paul, it actually pushes it a little bit farther in chapter 3. He's not just saying, hey, these false teachers came and taught you this. He actually says, who has bewitched you? Now, I don't think that... Everything as we read it in scripture can be spiritualized, but the way that this word actually plays out in the Greek is that an evil force is at work. An evil force is working against you, something supernatural. In other words, the enemy, Satan, is at work. How did the enemy work against you for you to believe this thing? And here's what I want us to realize in this little this little tiny little bit here about this bewitching is that the enemy is going to work in ways to trick us subtly. The enemy is going to, he's not going to swing in with some big false gospel and false religion that we're just going to buy into. It's going to be slow and subtle. It's going to be small little things that he gets us to believe. They're going to use the same language. It's going to be a lot of the same things, but just subtly we're going to start to hear a different message, a perverted message from the truth. We actually can look how this happened to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Many of us are probably recalling the story when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. And while he was there, the enemy came and tempted him. And the way that the enemy tempted him is he used scripture. He perverted the very thing that Jesus came he perverted the word of God. But Jesus, obviously being Jesus, knew the word better than the enemy. He knew it better and proved the word against what Satan was saying. You see, the enemy plans to come in and pervert the very words, not in maybe an explicit way, but in a way that subtly works in our hearts. The way that it worked in my heart, where somehow I went from God's work, not mine, to my work, not God's. It became evident at some point that I had started to believe that I had to do something that God had already done for me. And so he addresses the Galatians saying, who has bewitched you into believing this? How have you been bewitched into believing this? You see, the Galatians received it so readily. They received it so well. It said that even so, that that Jesus had been portrayed crucified in their reception of the gospel. They had heard it well and received it well. There was no doubt for them that they received their righteousness through faith. That they were justified by faith in Christ and his work. But now... Now they were believing that after their initial salvation by the work of God, they now somehow had to be at work themselves. That's where Paul says, are you so foolish? Having been by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Is it, is it, was it by the spirit that you came into faith, but now somehow you're trying to perfect your faith on your own? Is the spirit no longer at work within you? Did did the Lord withdraw his Holy Spirit from you at salvation in order that you should do it in your own power, in the work of your own flesh? How many of us have accepted Jesus by faith, but now we try to overcome our sin by our own effort? How many of us try to feel that we have to do something in order to receive something from God? How many of us are working for our own righteousness. But Paul says this is a foolish endeavor. It's foolish because even the Old Testament reveals the truth of the gospel. The very founder of Judaism, Abraham. Before Christ incarnate came, was he saved by his works? Paul says, certainly not. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. I want us to notice this phrasing. It says that Abraham believed God. Not that he just believed in God. I think the reality is today there are a lot of people that just believe in God. They believe that God exists, that he's there. But they don't actually believe God. Scriptures even tell us that even the demons know that Jesus is Lord. But they don't bow to him. And so here we are. In scripture it says that Abraham believed God. Didn't just believe in God, but believed God. That means that he believed God in all of his promises, in all of his works, in his entire existence and character, God was true. ...God was who he said he was and that nothing could change that, nothing could deviate from that. That's what it meant when, Ab- when it says that Abraham believed God, not just that he believed in God. And we have to understand that for Genesis 22 to make full sense. You see, we're all probably familiar again with this story, maybe not, but if Abraham simply believed in God... He would not have been able to walk up that mountain. Here's what happens in 22 verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Here is Abraham, the recipient of the promise of God that all the nations would be blessed through him and that he would have a son with Sarah. And there he is, Isaac is born, his only son, the promised son, I should say. And yet, here is now God testing Abraham, saying, take him up to the mountain. If Abraham simply believed in God, this would be a very different story. But Abraham believed God, and because he believes God, he obeys God. We must be sure to not confuse this with works of righteousness, though. Abraham isn't doing this in order to earn anything from God. He's not working out his salvation by listening to God and obeying him. He's not working out his salvation by choosing to take Isaac up the mountain and possibly sacrificing him. Because here's what Abraham knew. He believed God. And so therefore, whatever Abraham was about to do with Isaac, he knew that God was still God and God was still going to work. And that all of God's promises that he's already promised Abraham would be true. That he wasn't going to have to sacrifice somehow his only son. That somehow, in the midst of all of this weirdness that was going on where God was putting him to the test, he knew that the nations would still be blessed because he had his faith counted to him as righteousness. He believed God. And so he went up that mountain. He went up the Mount of Moriah, which is the place where God is seeing. He sees it all. He knows it all. And then what did he do? He provided the ram in the thicket. Pro vide. That is to see before. God already knew before how he was going exactly to do this. Because Abraham believed God, not just in him. And that is a testimony for us that we don't just descend from him by blood, we descend by through. This faith that Abraham had. That because he received the gospel in faith, so we too receive that same gospel in faith. And so what is Paul then saying to us at the end of this passage in Galatians? It is simply this, that it is the law can never save us. It can never justify us. We can never be righteous according to the law. We cannot keep it. Why? Because the righteous are justified by faith. They live by faith. And the law of God is not faith. It is not. The the law of God says that we believe in God. The law of God says that we believe in God. But God is calling us just to believe God. Not to believe in the law, but to believe him. And so Christ where there was this tree in the garden that cursed us. There was a tree on Calvary that saved us. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And now it comes full circle. O foolish Galatians, you received faith by the spirit of God. But then you turn to your flesh for righteousness thereafter. But you have been given the Holy Spirit. And so, you can what? Believe God like Abraham, so that when he ascended the mountain with Isaac, he knew that God would still be God. And thus he could act knowing that whether Isaac lived or died, God would fulfill his promise. Because he believed God with faith. So what does that look for us like uh, for us today? How can we apply this to our lives? What is this teaching us? What is this asking us to do? Well, I think really simply it's it's that we have to understand that we cannot work for our justification before and we definitely cannot work for it after we've come to faith. And when we do try to work out our justification in our own flesh, it will interfere with our relationship with God. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in John chapter ten verses seven through eleven. He says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy. And I came that they might may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd." The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, when we fail to believe God and only believe in God, we allow the enemy to sneak in and steal and kill and destroy his work within. By destroying that work, he effectively destroys our relationship with God. If we don't believe that the work of Christ on the cross, that is that he is the good shepherd that laid down his life for us, the sheep, then we fail to see him actually as the good shepherd, because the good shepherd doesn't make us work for our own righteousness. And when we fail to see that relationship, we actually become sin focused, we become flesh focused, we become works focused, wondering how we can be righteousness when he's already righteous, when he's already made us so. It interferes with our relationship with God, and so. What we have to do is we have to make sure that we are not allowing works in flesh to invade, to come and steal and kill and destroy the relationship with, that God has for us with Him. Second, and I think even more importantly, at least in, for me, and this is where I've really been coming to grips with a lot of this passage as we've been working through it, is that it keeps us fi- from finding our joy, joy in salvation in the work that God has already done in Jesus Christ. I'm reminded by how David said it in Psalm 51 verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. The salvation is the Lord's and it's upheld by the spirit and it results in joy. The Westminster Catechism reminds us that the chief end of man is to Glorify God and enjoy him forever. If we try to justify ourselves by our own flesh, it's not his glory and it's not by his spirit. We'll always lack in joy because we've lived as if we were cursed, as if we were under the law instead of already being blessed. And so he gives us his spirit and it is dwelling within us right now so that we can find our joy in him and allow his spirit to continue to work out our righteousness, not in our own work, but in his. So that his spirit would restore joy in his salvation and sustain our faith by believing him just as Abraham did. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we know that It is so easy to turn towards our own works to try to get to know you. But Lord, let us lean into the faith that Abraham had that was counted to him as righteousness, that he believed God and that we too would believe you, Lord, with full faith because of the work of your spirit, not turning once again to our flesh. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.